All right, so as Sam said, we are uh, starting Hebrews, uh, a sermon series on Hebrews. Uh, we're jumping off on this study in Hebrews from the study and that we've been doing for a long, long time in Acts uh, to look at Hebrews because uh, we read of Apollos in Acts, and uh, we read of his, in particular, his capability of attesting to Jesus as the Christ from the Scripture. The scripture at this time of the writing of Acts being the Old Testament, okay? Uh, Apollos was an eloquent man, well-versed in, uh, in Judaism, and as he came to know Jesus as Savior, he began proclaiming Jesus as the Christ from the Old Testament. Now, we don't have a lot of certainty about the book of he- Hebrews, but it, it actually could have been written by Apollos. And one of the reasons we think that is because we know that he was an eloquent and studied Jew and that he uh, declared the Christ from the scriptures, which is, which is really one of the major themes in the book of Hebrews, the word of God, its foundation, and the work of Jesus Christ. So we don't know a lot. It might, it might have been written by Apollos, very, very likely could have. It also could have been written by Luke uh, or Barnabas uh, or even someone else with basically with a great knowledge of the Old Covenant and who is proficient in the Greek language. The reason Apollos adds up is because he was in the well-educated town of Alexandria um, and he was, by background, he was a Jew. Um, it was likely that it was written in the 80s AD, so if you get a timeline in your framework, it's in the 80s AD. Uh, it was likely rich, written to Christians in Rome who were facing extreme persecution at the time and were likely dealing with, is my faith real? Because it looks like it's falling down all around me. Uh, people are persecuting me, they are, they are killing those around us, they are putting those around us in jail for their beliefs, and so it's likely that this was written to that context. Um, today's verses are introductory to the entirety of the letter, uh, which heavily deals with, as I've said, the authority of the Word of God and the implications of the work of Jesus Christ. So, uh, before we get to Hebrews, let's go ahead and read Matthew 21. Matthew 21. Just going to jump all around for you. We're going from Acts to Hebrews to Matthew. Um, I'm going to start this sermon by reading from Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 to 37. It says this, Hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard, and he put a fence around it, and he dug a wine press in it, and built a tower, and leased it to tenants, and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near... He sent his servants to the tenants to get its fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. And again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did the same thing to them. And finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its faithfulness to speak boldly into our lives about your identity, about who you are, about who Jesus is, about who we are in light of who Jesus is and what he's done. May our hearts be encouraged by the foundation we have in Christ 
fully man, fully God. Fully understanding every circumstance and situation we face, yet fully and completely conquering it on the cross. We thank you for your word that encourages in these truths. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today in our passage, we're going to see why, as you, you know, as you've seen, we read the, pa- the parable of the tenants. We're going to see why these tenants ought to listen to the Son. Um, this passage, as we understand, and even from the Pharisees' interpretation of it in the context of Matthew chapter 21, uh, they realized that Jesus was talking about them, and the Son is Jesus. And so why should we listen to the son that the farmer sends to his tenants, that the master sends to his tenants. Well, the first few verses, the first three verses really of Hebrews tell us exactly why we ought to listen to Jesus, why we ought to listen to the son. There are a myriad of things he says here, and and so let me read the first uh, four verses here of Hebrews. It says this, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Okay, these are the servants that the master originally sent to the tenants to respond to the word and the will of God and to to turn and and to follow what the master has instructed. Long ago, in many times and many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs." You could literally just read that over and over and just let it sink in. And I'm going to delve into why, but there's so much behind this, such thick, rich truth about who Jesus is, about his identity. So often we reduce him to a teacher, a leader, a good man. But the things that are said about Jesus in here, don't let us stay at good teacher, good man, good leader. He is far more, exceedingly more than just a good man and just someone we should follow as an example. For he is God. He is God. So what do we see in these verses? What we see in these verses is is chiefly this, that we see who the Son is. So who is the Son? First we see this, that he is the prophetic voice of God. The passage starts out saying, At many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son. Jesus, the Son of God, has become the final prophet of God. The final uh, um, fulfillment of the Old Covenant. The prophetic voice of God. 
We see in many times and in many ways, God has spoken to his people. And, and one of the themes that we're catching here is that he has spoken to his people throughout the Old Testament. So I'm going to run through a, uh, a huge list of ways and times in which God has spoken to his people. And, and I'm gonna, not going to spend much time on this. I'm just going to uh, flow through all these things. So you're going to hear a lot of names and a lot of uh, concepts and ideas that we see in the Old Testament of how God spoke to his people. Adam. Adam named creation, and God spoke to him directly as his creator. Enoch, we know, Genesis 5, 23 to 24, thus all the days of Enoch were 365. God walked with God, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Noah, Genesis 6, 8, we see that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, and God told him to build an ark. Abraham saw God in the stars, in, a, in a, 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 a smoking pot, in a ram stuck in a thicket. Joseph saw God and heard from God in dungeons and in dreams and through prosperity. Samson heard from God through uh, the picture of, of hair and grace and holiness. Gideon heard from God through fleeces and streams. Balaam heard from God through a donkey. Israel heard from God through the temple and through a land promised to them and through the laws given to them by God. Elijah heard from God through visions and miracles. Elisha heard from God through Elijah. Hosea heard from God through Gomer, the prostitute. Ezekiel heard from God about the glory of who God is. Isaiah heard from God about the nature of who God is. Jeremiah heard from God about the power that God has. Solomon heard from God about the wisdom that is found in God. In many times and in many ways, God has spoken to his people about his character and his nature and about who he is. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. All these things and aspects and attributes that God has spoken to his people about are fulfilled in Jesus. He is the fullness of all these ways in which God has spoken to his people. He is the prophetic voice of God, perfectly communicated to us. Jesus is the prophetic voice of God. Jesus is the one telling us which way to go and pointing us unto the Father, revealing the nature of the Father unto us. Jesus was a son of God. God once spoke to us, to our, to our fathers, it says, by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Jesus was the son of God. Was he a teacher? Yeah, he was. Was he good? Yeah, he was good. Was he a leader? Yeah, he was a leader. But he was so much more than that. He was the very Son of God. As the Son of God, he was also, it says, the heir of all things, whom God appointed heir of all things. That's everything, if you were wondering. Everything that you can think of, it's Jesus's. He he owns it. He possesses it. All things were given to him. All things are for him. All things are to him. All things. 
It's hard to wrap our minds around the word all. In fact, often we say, never say never, right? And things like that. Don't say things that are so, uh, so emphatic, right? Because sometimes there's exceptions, right? No, all things are Christ's. They're all his. All inheritance is Jesus's. Jesus here, it says, he's the heir of all things, and Jesus through whom also God created the world. The Bible leaves us no room to doubt the deity of Jesus. He wasn't just a man from Nazareth, but he was the agent of all creation. There's, there's no uh, ability for us to look honestly at the scripture and say, ah, Jesus is a great teacher. You know, he's a great leader, just, just another, just a Jesus of Nazareth. No, uh, no, Hebrews doesn't allow us to, to say that. It says that Jesus is through whom God created the world. Colossians 1.16 says it this way, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. All things created through the Son, through Jesus. So he's the prophetic voice of God. He's the Son of God. He's the heir of all things. He's the creator of the world. He's also the glory of God's presence. Verse 3 says, He is the radiance of the glory of God. At one time, and, and we'll delve into this more throughout the, our study on Hebrews, Israel saw the glory of God. They saw it at Sinai as God gave the word to them, as He gave them the commandments, as they told them the way they ought to live their lives expressly and explicitly. They saw God's presence in the tent of meeting as it traveled and led them throughout the desert. They saw him as he descended into the temple and his very presence filled the temple. That's where they saw the presence of God in those set-apart places. And, And now in Jesus we see that Jesus himself is the radiance of God's glory. The glory of God dwells in Jesus This is why it's so powerful when we say that Jesus lives inside of me. Because now I have become the set of our place. I have become the temple. The glory of God can reside in me through Jesus. Jesus is the glory of God's presence. He's he's the revelation of God's nature. You can get real cute with you for a second. He's the revelation of God's nature. Everyone get your worship guide out. Got your worship guide out? Get your, your worship guide? Okay. Got a little stamp for you. A little, little word picture. Boom. Motorcycle. How'd that motorcycle get there? I did. Weird. It's like right there perfectly. You got one. You want a red one or a blue one? <laughs> Boop. Stamp. Stamping you. You told me you wanted a motorcycle, and I got you one. 
<laughs> this is literally what the word says about Jesus. I find the verse. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of God's nature. The, the imprint there is literally he is a stamp. He's a stamp for you. He is the exact imprint. How did that motorcycle get on that piece of paper? Well, because the exact nature of a motorcycle is represented on the stamp. And so as you stamp it, there comes the motorcycle. And that's what Jesus is. He's an exact replication, manifestation of God's presence and God's character. That stamp can't make anything else but a motorcycle. That, in fact, that exact motorcycle can change colors based on the ink. But, you know, um, and I think you can get really, like, creative with the Trinity here. And, like, the Holy Spirit is the ink, and God's the stamp, and then Jesus is the... Anyway. Um, Jesus is the exact representation of God's character. He's the manifestation of God on earth for us. A stamp is just that. It's the manifestation of the stamp exactly replicated on your piece of paper. It's what Jesus is to us. He's the exact revelation of God's nature. The exact imprint of who he is. You see, I don't know, as you slowly read through this passage, you see how you cannot relegate Jesus to just a man. You, you can't see him and view him as just another teacher among religious teachers. You can't set him up next to Buddha and say, oh, Jesus is just a teacher like Buddha. You can't. You're not allowed. Buddha does not claim things like this, okay? Buddha does not say that he is the exact imprint of God's nature. These emphatic statements about Jesus proclaim who we believe Jesus is. We don't believe Jesus was just another great teacher among great religious teachers of history. We believe Jesus was God's son sent to earth as the exact representation of the nature of God. He's the heir of all things, creator of all things, son of God, the glory of God's presence, the revelation of God's nature, the prophetic voice of God to our lives. Finally, uh, not only is he all those things, but he sustains all those things. He's the exact representation, imprint of God's nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. You know, this floor is held by two by fours, but really it's held by Jesus. Every board, every nail, every screw, every, you know, the whole ceiling, everything in the universe actually is upheld by the word of the power of Jesus. He didn't just create it, he sustains it. He literally holds the universe in his hand. To say something like this to a, a, a Jewish population in this time expressly communicates what the author is trying to say about Jesus, that he is God. If you read in Isaiah 40, I'm just going to read one verse from a long passage that talks about this. Uh, it says this, Isaiah 40 verse 12, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains and scales and hills in its balance? God is the one who holds the universe. 
And so for the author to say, Jesus is the one who uh, holds the universe, upholds the universe by the word of his power, is to say, Jesus is God. No human can hold the universe in their hand. That's who Jesus is. Jesus, the prophetic voice of God, the Son of God, the heir of all things, the creator of the world, the glory of God's presence, the revelation of God's nature, the holder of the universe. This is who we serve. This is why we come and sing praise in every Sunday morning is because this is the God we serve. Now think of that for a moment, how beautiful that is and how powerful that is and, and how, how you can't say any more about him. His name is greater than the angels, it says, and we'll get into that next week, but he is above all things, through all things, in all things, holding all things. This is who Jesus was, who the Son of God is. But what is so impressive to us is not just who he is, but what he does in spite of who he is. So you look at someone and say, this is who you are. You're, you're the prophetic voice of God. You're the son of God. You're the heir of all things. You're the creator of the world. You're the glory of God's presence, the revelation of his nature, the upholder of the universe. This next verse seems, so that person did what? This is what the Son of God does. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Let me go back to chapter 21 of Matthew. The master sends servants to his tenants who the the tenants beat and kill and stone. He sends more servants and they do the same. We know from the Old Testament that this is how the prophets were treated by the people of Israel. They were killed. They were stoned. They were ignored. Finally, he sent his son to them saying, well, they'll respect my son, the exact imprint of my nature. They'll respect him, right? Verse 38 and 39. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. After making purification for sins... He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What did it take for Jesus to bridge the gap between us and God? It took him being thrown out of the vineyard he created and killed by the servants he made, the, the people he gave power to till the soil. Those people threw him out into the outer places of the vineyard and and killed him so that they could have some measure of power in this earth. 
This is how they treated the son. He came to his own, but he was thrown out and killed. This, the prophetic voice of God, this, the son of God, the heir of all things, the creator of the world, the the glory of God's presence, the revelation of his nature, the holder of the universe, and he's thrown out. Could he have stopped it? Yeah, he could have. Was he just some cog in the wheel of the Roman idealism and Jesus got stuck at an inopportune in the history of mankind? No, because he created time. He was before it. He, he made all things. He's in all things. He, he chose willingly to go and make purification for our sins. It, it wasn't just happenstance. It was a choice by the Son of God to come and make purification for us when we were broken, when we were enemies of him. That's what the son does. And as Sam uh, talked about it earlier, in this, the purification is complete. There's no endless giving of goats and bulls for the continual cleansing of our sin. No, it's done. It's finished. Look at how he puts it here in the scripture. He says, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of God. We might think nothing of that, but the priest didn't sit down in his service to God. The priest stood. He stayed standing and remained standing in all his service of God in the temple. His whole time in the temple, he was standing. There's no time in his worship in the temple that the the priest is is sitting. There is no time that he's sitting. But when Jesus goes to the cross and makes purification for our sins, he sits down at the right hand of the majesty of God. It's finished. It's done. It's complete. There is no more sacrifice to be made in Jesus, in our, our faith in Jesus. We are made righteous. There's no more cleansing we have to go through. We are pure. It's complete. This is what the Son does. This unique sacrifice is what Christ has accomplished for us. There is no other who has claimed to make such sacrifice or claimed to be the God who Jesus is. There is no other. Search the annals of history. Study every religion in the world. There is no one who claims such boisterous things about his nature and being and purpose in life. There is no one that comes close to the claims of Jesus in Scripture, that he is God and that he has made a way back to your creator. He has made purification for sins and he has sat down the majesty of God. And it's because of this unique sacrifice that we see what the son says to us. He shows us how to live. The heir of all things has made us co-heirs with him. Do you know that? The inheritance of Jesus is yours. As you place your faith in Jesus, as you follow him, as you give your life to him, as you submit to him as Lord and Savior of your life, you have the inheritance of the Son. You are adopted in. You are grafted in. You are 
a co-heir with Christ. That's what Scripture tells us, Romans 8, 17. 8, 15 to 17. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You don't have to be afraid. You are reconciled to God the Father. He is paid for your sin as you place your faith in Him. You don't have to receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That's Daddy crying out as a, a little innocent child to their father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Fellow heirs with Jesus. Many people would stop there and and say, sweet, we're heirs of Jesus. That's awesome. Isn't that cool? We're heirs of Jesus. We get all the inheritance of of the Son. There is a continuation here. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. How do you inherit the kingdom? You follow the son. You listen to the son. And what kind of things did Jesus say to us? What kind of things did he say to us? He said this. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Forever... For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Luke 9, 23 to 24. Do you want to be co-heirs with Christ? I mean, yeah, I do, you know. Does it fix all my problems in life? Uh, Am I going to experience any pain or suffering? Yeah, you are. In fact, you might experience more as a result of it because God is challenging us to take all that we are, everything, not like just 10% of our income to give so that we, you know, are religiously feeling some duty or whatever. Not just a little bit, an hour here and an hour there uh, to spend in his word or, or not just going to church on Sunday and, and doing our duty in that, but all of us following God, giving all that we are to the Son. Not in some uh, religious way as we're sort of trying to fulfill some duty. If we're trying to fulfill some duty, we're missing the point. We have to be um, wooed by this passage. We have to be um, pursued by what Jesus is saying to us in this scripture. I mean, listen to Hebrews 1, 4 again with me. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of God. I want to follow that man. I want to give my life to him. I don't want to do things out of religious duty to check off a list and make myself righteous. It can't be done. I want to follow Jesus. I want to give all that I am to him. 
and I want to desire it more. I hope that, that we all desire that, that we want to want him even more every day. So what do we walk away with here? What do we go with? Jesus is God. If you had any doubt about the nature and character of who Jesus was, he is not a a good teacher. He's not just a good leader. He's not just a good man. He is far more, exceedingly more than that. He is the very Son of God, the Word of God made flesh. He is God. He is the fulfillment of every word that was spoken through the prophets of the Old Covenant. Every way in which, every time in which God spoke to his people, through any means, through donkeys, through hair, through streams, Jesus is the fulfillment of what God is communicating to us in the Old Covenant. And this, Jesus offers us purification from sin that could not ever come in the works of our flesh, in the covenant of old. See, last week we talked about how, um, how Apollos was preaching the baptism of John, right? And, uh, and thankfully, um, Aquila and Priscilla come and, and instruct him that it, it's not just about a ceremonial cleansing over and over and over, purifying yourself from your sins over and over again and having to come and cleanse yourself again and again and again. It's not about that. The sun has sat down. The baptism of Jesus is that you have been buried with Christ and raised to new life. The condemnation of our sin is no longer there. It is washed away. There is no more ceremonial cleansing that we have to go through. It is finished. That's the beauty of the message that Priscilla and Aquila kindly shared with Apollos to say, it's not just about a cleansing. It's about a completion on the cross through Jesus. We looked at Paul in the Nazarite vow we're, we're no longer temporarily set apart for a time uh, to, to proclaim ourselves holy for a period of time. In the Nazarite vow, you, you for a temporary amount of time, uh, take a special vow to separate yourself from the world. And, and you are temporarily set apart in a special way. No, we are no longer temporarily set apart. We are a holy priesthood. We are set apart for life. As we place our faith in Jesus, we are now priests of his kingdom. We are set apart for him. Not just uh, church leaders. This is where we get it wrong so many times. There's, there's no like hierarchy in the kingdom. It's all flattened out in Jesus. And each of us is called to be a holy priest. Each of us is called to walk a life set apart from uh, the trappings of our world. There's a permanence to this that wasn't there before. There's no longer a temporary cleansing. There's a full cleansing. There's no longer a temporary setting apart. There's a full set-apart nature that we've been given. If we respond to Jesus' call to us to follow him, to, 
take up our cross daily, to declare him as our Lord, to declare him as our Savior and him alone. We are co-heirs with him. We have the inheritance of all things. We, we sit as children of God, as those who get to bask in the glory of God's presence ever more increasingly in this life and fully at the completion of our lives, entering, enter, in the, entering into the rest that is found in the presence of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this text. We thank you for the beauty of it. We thank you for its emphatic description of who you are. There can be no mistake about what you claim about yourself from your word. You came to lay yourself down for us that we might be restored to God the Father. You, the king of all creation, the creator of the world, the sustainer of the cosmos, the the heir of all things, the son of God, you made purification for our sins. There's no one that deserved it less, yet you did it for us. There's no other way. You willingly came and gave your life for us on the cross that we might be heirs with you, co-heirs with Christ. We praise you for that truth. God, we pray that we would listen to the Son. As you spoke to your people in many times, in many ways in the past, you continue to speak to us today. You speak to us through your church. You speak to us through your word. You speak to us directly by the Holy Spirit. You speak to us daily. Lord, you are calling out to us. Help us listen to the Son. Help us listen to your words, your words of comfort, of encouragement, of grace, of rebuke, of challenge, of exhortation, of teaching. God, help us to listen to the Son. God, thank you for sending him. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.